Okay, can everybody hear me? So, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird timing there. I don't know what just happened. It looks like my OBS just died or something like that. I don't think they're messing with me. It could be, though. There's demons attacking. Anyway, we're just going to keep going on. So, sorry about that. I apologize. We just literally just killed... So, I don't know. I, I woke up too many demons there. There's nothing I could do about it. Okay, so let's just keep going if that's all right with you guys. I, knew where I'm, I know where I'm at, so let's keep going. So let's talk about taxes and the Bible. You guys can hear me? Make sure that. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Looks like you can. Thank you all for joining me. There's nothing I can do about it. What's up, Anna Medina? I haven't seen you in a long time. Nice to see you. Um, Miss Whiskey, love you, Whiskey. Bill and Tano Bear. Okay, awesome. Looks like we got a few trickling in. Okay, let's. I'll, I'll splice this together later, and then we'll upload it to Rockfin and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, these things happen, but we're just gonna keep on keeping on. Okay, let's talk about this. So, in this book, he gives these addendums to basically talk about specifically that if you pay taxes, this is like, this is Antichrist. The entire tax system and forcing you to pay taxes and stuff like that is completely antichrist. You know, we were told this, whether it's mythology or not or whatever, but we, you know, in, in America here, the United States here, we were taught, we were taught that it's like, oh, the, you know, um, the, uh, the Boston Tea Harbor and the 1% tax and stuff like that. And because they were taxed 1%, they literally threw all the tea over, you know, that's what they did one back in the day when they were taxed 1%. We're taxed for dying and being born and taxed on money that we make and there's a you know all we're taxed to death and we allow it which means that we allow what satan to run our world and not the almighty god so basically what um what um what's his name goldsboro talks about here is uh the income tax in holy scripture let's read this because the united states was founded as was founded as and still is a christian nation it is important that we christians ask and know what God says and directs about government's right and authority, meaning jurisdiction, to tax his people. The Bible is specifically talking about how you should not be taxed for anything. That's what this chapter is about. That's what this verse is about. Scripture has a lot to say about this subject. Let's First, let's talk about the commonly misunderstood words of our Lord in Romans 13.1 and 13.2. Baby. Remember when we got music in Sky and there was a one person that said, what about Romans? Mm -hmm. Remember that? And I was like, I got to do Romans. Mm -hmm. And then what did that person say? It's like, oh, because you're supposed to give authority to the government, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they thought. Mm -hmm. How many people, every fucking time, right? Jaron Campanella did, I don't know how many videos where he's talking about, oh, it's Romans 13. You're supposed to worship the fucking government. No, that's not what it says. In fact, the guy that wrote a book on how to get out of taxes used this verse to make the case that what? You don't have to pay taxes. Ready? It's Romans. It's the very verse that people think, that loads of people think you're worshiping the government here. It's not what it says. And the proof is this guy actually has addendums to get you out of the fucking tax code and he uses scripture. Let's read it. This is what Romans 13 starts out saying. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, period. Right there. doesn't matter what part of government you're in, who would, you know, what position of quote-unquote authority you have. You are subjected to higher powers, which means you're subjected to that higher power's morality and ethics. That means everything that you do in this world has to be what? You're subject. You're a subject of God in this sense, right? You're in this sense a slave to God, a slave to his moralities and ethics. I was, you know, when we use the term slave and that sort of stuff, it's like you're a slave to what? The totality of love. Oh, poor you, Right? So let's read this again. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, 
Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Right? If you're ordained, right, and you resist the power of God, right, you're, you're going to receive a damnation. Okay? There is no power but of God. So the first two lines tell you, like, anybody that's claiming authority or jurisdiction over you, it's bullshit. And any, any person that is in a position of power, if, you're not, if that person is not being like, it's all about God, then you're not subjected to them, that sort of sense, right? <clears throat> At first blush, verses 1 and 2 might be incorrectly assumed to say that we must do everything that the government tells us to do, whether it is lawful or not. Not true. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that whosoever, obviously, as used in this verse, includes governments, but also ordained of God, governments must also act and perform as God directs. That's what this is about. And because people don't know how to read or they read different versions of the Bible or stuff like that, they, they, they lose the, the whole thing. This is actually telling you right now, and he's using this as part of his addendum to make his case, that you don't know shit to Caesar. Therefore, when the government disobeys God, as we will show that they are doing, as he does in the book, the people are no longer scripturally responsible to the government. Amen. This is the guy that used this shit to get out of taxes. Let's move on to other scripture. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars. What does, Lord, what does Jesus say? You're trying to trick me. I don't know shit to Caesar. So by his response, our Lord explained that even though Caesar may well have thought he was God and therefore deserved 100% of tribute or taxes, our Lord explains that this was not true and that the distinction between Caesar and God must be acknowledged. Okay? <laughs> so that's what that's all about. If we want to follow God Almighty and we're still wrapped up in the tax code, then who are we actually tributing? Who are we giving tribute to? By our actions. Of course, once again, when they heard these words, they were marveled and left him and they went their way. It's like, oh shit, this guy knows the tax code. Ah, oh, this guy knows the scam. Then 22, 23 says this, the same day came to him the Sadducees. <laughs> the same day. He's just getting inundated by devils. Look at this. They got together with the Herodians and they sent the devil worshipers and then they sent the Sadducees and then they tried to trick him. There, they, and the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. What does that mean? Death and rebirth. There is no death and rebirth. You're either chosen by God or not. That's what they're saying. Jesus Christ came and what did he do? He taught us about the resurrection. He taught us about the fact that you shall die to your former self and you shall be reborn. You shall be reborn. And when you do that, what are you doing? The great work. And who, who gives you that? Who, when you say, when people say they're reborn all the time, but when you're actually reborn, who, who gives you that? God. God is the one that rebirths you. Okay? There is no resurrection. <laughs> Should we listen to people that say there's no resurrection? Right? So, so, there's the people that are believe in the resurrection that recognize that anybody can come to Christ. And then there are people that don't believe in the resurrection and say, well, you got to be born that way. A sacred and profane, not by your choices and your actions and your free will. A sacred and profane by what? Your birth. Of course. Of course that's what Jews would say. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here and pass the basket around for those of you that would like to support the fine work that we do. Um, we are at Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road 3440 in Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And we are there right now, and it's we're outside, and it's kind of chilly. So um, if you'd like to uh, send any donations or anything like that, we really appreciate that. And you can also support us by um, Venmo, Buy Me a Coffee, Cash App, PayPal. And you can also become a good bird at Subscribestar. And I think we have 54 good birds right now, which is great. So I'm going to play a little song, and then we'll get back at it. Thank you all to the wonderful people that do support the work that we do here. We really appreciate it, and we can't keep going without you. So um, that's this is how we this is how we keep going is your support. We can only keep going with your support, and so we really appreciate it. Okay, let's get back at it. So then there's another sort of uh, this is a riddle. This is actually very mathematical, and I'm just going to go over this fairly quick because it's kind of. Um, there's, there's actually a lot here, and I didn't really cover any of the Kamatri today, which there's a bunch there too, but I kind of wanted to keep focused on the, the message. So anyway, um, so here's another, it's just, this is very much a riddle, and it's a mathematical riddle, and when I show it to you, I think you'll, I think you'll kind of get it. So, so basically, so it says, uh, 22, 24, saying, saying, Master, Moses said if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, immediately, people are like, wait, his wife is supposed to marry his brother, like his actual physical brother? The brother in this in this case does not mean his actual physical brother. It's basically saying, hey, if a woman dies and she doesn't have any children, right? She, like, well, you know, she doesn't want to be like childless or whatever in his life and stuff like that. So he's a married brother, right? And we'll listen to the rest of the thing. Now, there were with us seven brethren. Why seven? Obviously, this is when you when you read this, you can see that this is clearly that they're pointing to some math here, right? And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother, not his actual brother, like just like we're all brothers and sisters. That's what this is talking about. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. Okay? So basically, this woman marries th these guys, doesn't have any children, the husband dies, and then marries the next guy, right? And then ultimately, and last of all the women, died also. So the question becomes, therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife shall be of the seven, right? So it's like, okay, when you, when you, all right, you married here and then you both die. When you get up to heaven, who, who gets her? What is it? We just split her into seven pieces and they get it right. How do you, how do in other words, think about this. They're, she, they're, they're, um, this woman in this sense, the, the riddle is about dividing seven. That's what it is. 
How do we how do we get these set? Who marries the woman? Do all seven get her? That sort of thing. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? For they all had her. So when we unite with God and that sort of thing, what's what's you know? So that sort of thing. So once again, this is a reference to marriage, obviously, right? The, the 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 wedding banquet that starts this thing and then the tax thing and then now we're back to a wedding right well the number seven is plays a prominent part in Jewish weddings the number seven figures prominently in a Jewish wedding as well one of the most intriguing parts of a Jewish wedding ceremony is when the bride circles the groom under the hoopah uh, traditionally the bride circles the groom seven times right. <sighs> Why do they do this? Well, one of the explanations is refers to the seven times Joshua, which Joshua is a name for Jesus, right? They, uh, he walked around the ancient city of Jericho seven times, and then the walls fell. Think about that. The walls fell. Just like the wall in your head, the left and the right, right? What did, what did he do? He walked around it seven times, and the division became whole of the city. So too, after the bride walks around the groom seven times, the walls between them will fall and their souls will be united. It's a reference to what, obviously? The alchemical marriage and the chemical wedding. It's a reference to the unity of opposites, okay? And so then, and then this is a, now what's the important point is this woman had no children. If a man die having no children, his brother shall raise up his wife and seed. And then he had a married wife and then she deceased. Having no issue, that basically means no children, left his wife and his brother, the same third, fourth, fifth, all the way to the seventh. Then what happens when they die? Who gets her? Okay. Well, what is she? Well, she would be a virgin in this sense. Like she would, like she, in this sense, she didn't have any offspring. She would have been like, this is the reference to that. She's pure. Well, the number seven in sacred geometry is, is known as a virgin number. Okay. So the ancients, this comes from a beginner's guide to constructing the universe. And this is what the ciphers based on this. This is on your hands and your feet. We've talked about seven all day long, of course, but the ancients referred to seven as the virgin number. Use a calculator to divide the 360 degrees by each of the values of one through 10. While every one of the 10 except seven divides 360 without any remainder, only the seven-sided polygon presents an endless decimal and an unmeasurable elusive angle from its corners. Assiduously maintaining virginity, this in this sense, symbolically, the heptad cannot be captured. That is made manifest by arithmetic or geometry, the mathematical reading process. Basically, and I'll show you this in just a second. So we'll go back to this. There's one through 10. Well, it's at one through nine there. You can do 10, of course. Not 365 by 10 is 36, obviously, but... So if you see there, 360 divided by 1 is 360, 2 is 180, 3 is 120, 4 is 90, 5 is 72, 6 is 60, right? 360 divided by 7 is 51.428571, blah, 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 blah. So the only number in that base 10 system that does not divide evenly by 360. And it makes this what, as the sacred geometricians call it, like this untouchable number, right? And it even goes on to say that when you get into um, the, uh, the, the compasses and square kind of thing, you can't actually draw the heptad without a, a protractor. That's, that's the idea. So in other words, you can't create this geometric form, the seven, Right, and this whole thing is about dividing. How do we divide the seven? Which one gets her? That sort of thing, with with the the tools of the compasses and the square. So therefore, it's like this untouchable number. It's virgin in this sort of sense, right? It is well known that the regular heptagon, this baby right here, that regular heptagon. It is well known that the regular heptagon is the smallest polygon that cannot be constructed using only the tools of the geometer, the compass, and the straight edge. 
the tools that mirror the methods of the cosmic creating process. Okay, so this whole story right here is actually about, and then it'll, I'll get into more here, but is one of the things it's revealing is what? Of course, this is all parabolic. It's mathematics too. So, and the number seven, which this is all references, it's it's a critical place. It's a, a, uh, I'm sorry, it occupies a critical place within the 10 as a link between the first, sixth, and the last three terms. So look down there. As you guys know, one, I'm sure if, you, if you've been following along, one times two times three times four times five times six times seven is 5,040. Okay, now go seven, eight, nine, ten. Seven times eight times nine times ten is 5,040. Okay, so seven right there plays this really interesting role in the base 10 system. And that's all naturally how it's just, how it's formed. Okay, so there's that. So getting back to this now. So then it says, so there's all the math there, right? So, okay, therefore in the resurrection, when you all die and you all go back to God, who gets the wife? So there's the question. And, and then he's basically, Jesus is going to retort and he's saying, oh, you don't understand scripture, Sadducees. You don't understand Pharisees. Or you don't understand these Pharisees and you Sadducees and you scribes, all that shit. You don't actually understand scripture. You're saying, oh, Master Moses said this. Explain it to me, Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto them in 2229 says, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. 2230 says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. They already married. They already went through the great work. They already marry the opposites within themselves and they're united with God in heaven. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. What is this? There is no separation. Just like the base 10 system, they're all part of the one system, right? They're all united with God. So they're, these scribes and Pharisees that don't understand Scripture, they're like, well, when we get up to the total unity of God, where do I sit in the seat? What, do I get the higher throne or the lower throne? Who gets the woman? No, you're all united with God. This is what the monad teaches us. This is what Christianity teaches us, that we all have that divine spark within. So it's like, oh, is the first monad going to get the third one or is the second one going to get the third monad? What happens to the fourth? Does the fourth get the first one? No, they all go back into the unity of God. And when it comes to there, it's like, we try to explain that, we can't. That's where all language fails. This is why understanding language is important because you actually understand why knowing and being a knower, being a, be, uh, attributing gnosis to in your, or, um, embodying the Gnostic perspective in your worldview. Okay, this is this is what it'll do. It, it helps you recognize that, you know, all things go back to God. So I hope hopefully I have this. I don't think I have this. Oh, there it is. I do. So when it says like, oh, you will be as the angels in heaven. This is what it says. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. You're all going to be living. So this is the angels, the ten emanations of God that are all what? They're all one on the tree with God. They're all part of one system so it's like oh is the, is mercy gonna be with ser, ser, severity there or is glory gonna is glory is glory gonna mate with wisdom or is it gonna be the understanding that's gonna mate with vic no it's all one it's all unified with god and that's where you lose you you uh lose the ability to really explain these things that's why i said like having that gnostic perspective and understanding language will tell you that now, the, the rest of this chapter will just go, not the, uh, I think the rest of this chapter will go on and reiterate what I just said in numerous different ways. Watch, okay? 
But as touching the, 2231 says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying this, I am. There's the I am, which is what? Rep, rep, representing that, that's the, you know, I am that I am is what Moses said in Exodus 3.14. So that divine spark within you is the I am. So Jesus is saying, did you err when you understand the scripture? You didn't understand. Did you not see, did you not read what was saying when God was saying to you this? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, still living. Jacob, still living. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What is Abraham? That's the small spark of God that exists within Abraham. And where is that small spark of God now? Reunited with God. These scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees didn't recognize the union of God, didn't understand that because they went their whole life not recognizing the equality and equ the equality that everybody has. So there's not, there's no way they could possibly understand it in heaven. They didn't even understand it here. They're like, I'm better than you. And so when we get, you know, the other side, you know, no, no, no. Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, I am was in each single, every single one of them. This is why Christ, this is why Jesus also has that, Jesus also has that one tale, I forget what it is, it's like he goes up to heaven, I think Peter's there, and Peter sees like it's Moses and somebody else and Jesus, and he's like, oh my God, I'm so excited, now we can get a tabernacle for you and you and one for you, and then all of a sudden, poof, they all disappear and they all become Jesus, that's, that's what that means, because now you're dealing with the same I am, and then he says, I am not the God of the dead, I am the, but of the living, I am not the God of the dead, but of the living, that's what he says. What is the God of the dead and what is the living? Heaven is actual life. It's eternal life. Earth is when you've fallen into death. This is where, as we talk about, this is the plane of existence and where death is allowed to happen in this sort of sense. The, you know, evil is allowed to happen down here. In order for what? So that we could have the, you know, the, um, the labyrinth, if you will, the obstacle course, if you will, to undergo that great work. There is no death upstairs. Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, Jesus, they're all alive and well. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. His doctrine. What is the three? With trine, three. And three become what? One. Literally the mathematics to tell you about the, what he's saying here. 2233. And of course, this is the I am according to the Jew. There's the Jew, which has the small spark of God within them. And that's going to be rushed right up to heaven at the end because they were chosen and you don't. And this is why they're never going to understand heaven. That's why the, the spirit that is within them is dead, if you will. It's dead. 2234. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So the Pharisees heard that Jesus, with his magic tongue, because he's a light worker, he, he is the light, obviously, right? The, he is a light magician. The, dark, the black magicians try to came and, and, and trick him in his words, and he's like, uh-uh, not happening. The Pharisees, the Sadducees came back, and they're like, dude, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's read the IRS tax code. And the Pharisees were pissed off, and then they're like, let's get together. 
Let's let's get together and try to destroy him. And this is what happens when the Pharisees and Sadducees gather together. This is what it looks like. This is the first image of Pharisees and Sadducees gathering together. And it looks like um, a witch's coven, if you will. So that's what that looks like. Anyway, so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they got together um, to silence. Had put this. Oh, I'm sorry. They were gathered together because they wanted to obviously tempt him more. So 2235 says, then one of them, which was a lawyer. <laughs> so surprising. Really? You mean a Jewish man that's a lawyer that's trying to trick people and fuck them over using language? It's almost like this stuff's happening today. They asked him a question. I'm going to question you. I don't answer questions. <laughs> Tempting him. What does the devil do? That's right, tempts him. And saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? <sighs> Jesus says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. 22.39 says, And the second is just like it. It's like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jews do not love the neighbor as thyself because they don't see the Lord thy God within you. Why did God say that you have to love, first off, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. What is the Lord thy God? The Lord thy, which means your God. That, that, that small, you know, um, that scintilla, that spark, the divine spark that exists within you, you're supposed to love it. It's directly connected to God. You love that, you love God. Okay, now he's also saying you ha also have to love your neighbor as yourself. Why would God say that? Why would Jesus say that? Because he knows that guess what? Your neighbor has that in him too. You deny that, what do you do? You reject God. This is why Jesus also says, love your enemy, because guess what's in your enemy? The small spark of God. Guess who doesn't see it that way? Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, those lawyers, Jews. And that's why in the parable, they bound and they tied him up and they threw him into outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of fucking teeth. The Lord, thy God. Capitals. Look at the capitals. See that? But on the seventh day, this is from Genesis, is the Sabbath of the Lord, all caps, thy God. What's going on there? What's happening there? We'll get into that. So this all about this is all about the golden rule in this sense, right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all the soul and all thy mind. And then you also have to love your neighbor the same way. Why? Because every single person has, in this sense, is uh, equally divine, in innately. And then you get to choose whether you're going to be worthy or unworthy. You get to choose whether you get to dress up for the wedding or not. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Hang all the law and the prophets. It's, it's just essentially the golden rule. Is essentially all it is. So when we talk about you know all the written laws and all these you know, statutes and ordinances and orders and all this other shit that you know that these pseudo authorities, these Caesars, these mini Caesars, little Caesars is what they are, that they try to inundate us with. Really, at the end of the day, God's like, are are you recognizing the equality within your fellow man? Are you treating him as you want to be treated? Okay, wh what else do you need? What else is there? Do you get up in the morning and pick up your constitution and be like, what should I do today? <laughs> no. Do you ever go? Do you ever get up in the morning and then go to your state law book and be like, let's see, 
where do I search for the moral and ethic with my morals and ethics in this thing? No, nobody does that. Do you think criminals do it? No, they don't give a shit. So do laws and right, all that sort of stuff, laws and, and legalese and all that shit. Does it end of the day, does it matter to God? No, that's all Caesar. So render unto Caesar what's Caesar and follow the God's law. While the Pharisees were gathered together, it was a witch's coven. Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Now listen to this. This is a riddle. This is all a riddle. Saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And these Pharisees say unto him, The son of David. Okay, so he's the physical son of David. David's dead, lived a long time ago. And he saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? If he's his son, how is he how is he lording over him? That doesn't make any sense. Then 4244 says this. Look at look at the capitalization. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Lord the the this sense, right? What is the Lord? The Lord God Almighty spoke unto what? The Lord within you, the spark of God within you. That's what it's referring to. And in fact, this whole riddle is to make you, is to pinpoint where that is. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is all found within the first page of the New Testament. And as I've said, I am literally, this is church is the only church that I can, I've ever even heard that explains this, that knows what it means, that tells you what it, you know, that it talks about this at all. Notice how many times Lord is capitalized in the Bible. Now read the first chapter of Matthew. Notice that Jesus, who is called the Christ, is in all caps as well. Jesus is introduced and right after the verse where the prophecy is revealed that a virgin shall be with a child, called Emmanuel, which is God with us. Jesus is with us. The Lord is with us. Okay, so we have this capitalization of Lord. And I'll show you this right here. This is the beginning, the first chapter of Matthew. And it says, you can see here, in, in 20, why is Lord capitalized? Why is Jesus capitalized? Then, then it go and then, so there you have the prophecy, which is like, hey, there's going to be a virgin with child and it's going to be born and his name shall be Jesus. Then the next line is what? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So his name is Emmanuel, but what does he have inside him? The Lord. The Lord is with inside him. And then it's even saying the manuals, the name is what God with us. And who is that Lord? Then it tells you before it says the Lord capitalization. Then it says what? Jesus in capitalization. Because it's trying to say, guess what? Christ is Lord. So then we go back to this riddle and you say, hey, well, I don't get it, man. Like, wait a second. David or David, who is what? In this sense, a manual. And what's inside him? The Lord. And who's that? That's Jesus. So then he's saying, hey, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Ah, he's the son of David, but then he's lording over David. That doesn't make any sense unless you recognize that they're talking about the spirit. What is the son of David? It's exactly how we've explained it in every other chapter. The son is the S-O-N, it's the S-U-N, it's the light. It's the eternal light that is within him. And the, and the Pharisees, they don't fucking understand it all. They're like, I don't get it, man. How can this, it's just a damn riddle to them because they have no spirit. It's dead. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. <laughs> well, I wonder who he's referring to there. 
I think you get it. 2245. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? That's how. Because it's the light of Christ within him. And that's who lords over him. And that's who his son is. And how does it end? Once again, they tried to trick him. Jesus was the light magician. He knew what they were trying to do with his words. And he called them on it. He called their bluff. 2246, and no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Why? Because Jesus, as we talked about, is a magician. He knew spellcraft. He knew wizardry. He knew what magic was all about. This whole chapter is literally about how these devil worshipers were trying to trick him in his language, so much so to pay his life over to Caesar and give his tribute to Caesar. The whole thing. And this is why when we did last week about what magic is all about, and I'm trying to teach you to be a magician, that you are a magician whether you know it or not, this is what I mean. You know, Most people are paying tribute to, to Caesar. And God doesn't want anything about want anything to do with that. So, All right, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you all so much. You guys are good birds. We really appreciate you very much. Thank you so much. If you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. You can become a Phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a Cygnus bird. You can become Diamond the Piedmont bird. That's right. And if you would like to uh, send any support, um, Gnostic Academy. 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And if you'd like any donations, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, PayPal, and of course, Subscribestar. You can be a good bird. Um, we also have the church store. If you'd like to support the fine work that we do, Bible and rosary packages, of course, books and stuff like that. Tenets of the Order is on its way. And I don't know what's happening with our children's book. Our, the artists have been... It's no-go right now, and it's really upsetting, but that's it is what it is, so that's okay. So uh, we'd like to say thank you to Content Safe, uh, getting us on BitChute and Odyssey and Rumble, and I'm sorry that we're going to have to chop this baby up and everything today, but it is what it is. So we are also on the Flat Earth app, the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. That's right. That's Dave Weiss's app, and we're on there, and you can get the Sunday sermons on there, so we really appreciate it. Um, we're going to do some donations. Do you have any donations, baby? It's already done. Um... Where? Where do I go? What do I do? Is it this one? It's this one. Um, we would like to say thank you to... Oh, did you send it to my other email? Oh. I don't have it. Oh, that's okay. Um, we would like to say thank you to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the the Schindler is not showing up. That's right. We call our list Schindlers here at the the Gnostic Church and Academy, just because we have a sense of humor. Um, can you just turn your computer so I can do this? Or if you, um... <laughs> Jared, that's funny. All right, we would like to say thank you to uh, Peter Fremlin. Oh, for the silver coins and the CD and the note. And I will listen to the CD and maybe I will pl uh, play. Um, one of the tracks next week. Spicy Sarah's birthday today. Thank you so much, Spicy Sarah. We love you so much. Also, we got a we got a couple cards from yeah Pete Frem, Fremlin. Thank you, Stacy Pimentel. Thank you so much, Stacy. We really appreciate a very generous donation. Very very much. We appreciate that. Thank you so much, Bruce Hutton. Thank you once again for the note. Um, last week we had Andrew Masonette. Looking forward to Sundays just to attend church. Look, 
Love you all for all the work you put into providing such knowledge. Tip a canoe herbs. Kyle Denton, love tip a canoe. Your dedication is appreciated. Thank you so much. And Andrew Mason at today, 10. Yay, Sunday morning with the Marty. Best day of the week. Love you all. Thank you so much. Um, Alicia Crawford, Jean Vina for, uh, this was last week, Abracadabra. Ooh, thank you. Gavin, Jared Poole, Virginia Dare, David McKinney, Ray Brackman, Chase DeLong, and uh, Jared Poole, once again, thank you so much. Ray Brackman, best part of waking up Sunday is Marty Leads in My Cup. Thanks for the great service today, Chase DeLong says. Thank you so much. And then we have uh, J.M. Grassi, Daniel Hager, John Vina, Alicia Crawford, Virginia Murray, and, oh, Cody Van Dyke, Jennifer McLaughlin, Robert Questenberry, and Eric Colsell. Thank you so much. Oh, we've got a, there's more today. Oh, my Lord. Thank you so much. Alex Meter. Oh, this was all for today. I'm oh, thank you. Uh, Braden Moses, Anna Medina, David Weiss, um, Jennifer McLaughlin once again. Thank you so much. Okay, and that's going to do it. Last week, Crystal Rose and Teague Mackin bought two coffees and five coffees. Thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate it. And today, Jeremy Hines. Happy rising, my friends. Our incomes are like our shoes. If too small, they gall and pinch us. But if too large, they cause us to stumble and to trip. John Locke. That's that's good, man. Eugene Jacques, 20. Okay, thank you so much. And we have 52 good birds. We lost a few good birds. That's okay. That's all right. Okay, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all the support that you guys bring every week and allow us to keep doing this. Okay, we're going to listen to um, a track of mine called A Nightmare Is All I See. And um, it's a love song for Lady Liberty is what it's called. So, all right, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. On to eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Jesus, oh Jesus. Jestan, my friend. Thank you, my brother. I love you. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for me. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, we will see you next week. We're going to get into Matthew 23, and Matthew 23 is a freaking banger. This one was good. Don't get me wrong, but Matthew 23 is freaking rock star shit. Okay, that's going to do it. Guys, I will see you next week, and um, be good to one another, okay? Be good to one another. We love you all so much. All right, that's going to do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all.
Whoa.